you, the two of you, would seem to come from very different uh, backgrounds, and uh, uh, and yet you, you clearly established a, a, a pretty special bond. Oh, yes. Where did that come from? Came from adversity. Yeah. Came from us uh, clashing together early on in uh, 1981 when uh, I. Uh, uh, supported the continuation of tax-exempt financing for industrial revenue bonds, IDBs. Um, 81 interest rates were out of reach, soaring. I had been a local representative uh, representing a large municipality, a town, which had a number of villages in it. The town of Hempstead in Long Island had about 800,000 people. And uh, as the uh, supervisor, the equivalent of mayor of a community, I saw how important these bonds were because they uh, um, reduced the interest rates considerably over private placement. And um, Bob, being a free marketeer and believing in the free enterprise system, didn't believe that uh, uh, these bonds should be sold. And, of course, he was urged, he was a great supporter of the president, and the Treasury Department was opposed to it. They said they were losing revenue. Of course, I thought they were taking a very narrow view because these transactions wouldn't have taken place in, in the free market system if there wasn't this subsidy of making these bonds more attractive because they were tax-free and therefore, in some instances, carried a 2 to 3% reduction in interest, and that made deals possible that otherwise wouldn't be. Remember, we were mired in a uh, high interest rate, uh, low growth, uh, uh, quagmire, which uh, um, the uh, former president blamed on the American people, uh, Mr. Carter, but uh, indeed was much more than that. And so the last thing we needed to do is to make it more difficult for these transactions to take place. I believed in this. I carried this bill. Um, and uh, uh, to the chagrin of Senator Dole, who battled me every inch of the way, and and who I was able to overcome his opposition. He was chairman of the Finance Committee and a powerful chairman and respected. But I rolled him in, in the Appropriations Committee by putting on a little amendment that said no monies will be used by the Treasury Department as it relates to any rules or regulations that would prohibit the sale of or the, prohibit the, uh, the use of industrial revenue bonds. Uh, he then tried to get some people on the floor to uh, defeat that. Uh, he wasn't able to do that because many people, particularly uh, from the rural from states like Mississippi, uh, so the Senator Cochran and old John Stennis were allies of mine and others. We were able to sustain the, or keep the industrial revenue bonds and not have them 
severely impaired. They were able to place some regulations and restrictions which were absolutely correct. In other words, you couldn't use these proceeds, I remember, out of bookstores, they, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, uh, and so that was, that was reasonable. And I remember having a, a talk with Bob, and I said to him, you know, um, I'd rather work with you than be working against you. And, you know, here's this young whippersnapper talking to this veteran, uh, bright, astute, powerful leader. And uh, he took me up on it, showed the mettle of the man. And we became fast colleagues and friends uh, from that point on. It was, it was the initial conflict that didn't separate us, but yeah. rather brought us together. Yeah. The measure of Bob Dole, the man, not somebody who would hold a grudge because on an issue that he was carrying the ball for the administration. And by the way, the bravest warrior you ever saw. He carried things for the administration that nobody else would have carried. Uh, Can you um, think of an example? Oh, yeah, the ridiculous uh, business of freezing the colas on Social Security. I mean, ridiculous, stupid politically, but the administration, they were part of that. They wanted that, and he marched forward carrying that, that, that flag. And I said to him, I don't see this thing, um, but he was a loyalist. He certainly a great loyalist to uh, President um, uh, Reagan, and even a a a great loyalist uh, to someone who defeated him uh, in the uh, primary for presidency, um, um, President Bush, um, and um, um, he notwithstanding that he wanted to run, he wanted to be the standard barrier. No one worked harder um, for his election and for his programs that, that he really carried the, the banner for. But that was Bob Dole. Bob Dole, um, again, one of the, um, the great legislative leaders and the man of fabulous integrity um, and uh, if if he was your friend you you didn't need too many others I mean he would be there what about him because I assume this was the first time you'd really gotten to know him um, yeah. what about him surprised you or sort of didn't maybe dovetail with the public image of the guy the public image was horrific um, um, what do I mean by that? He came over as this mean-spirited uh, guy who they erected the barriers when he was running for president, not to protect him, but to protect their little kids from being eaten by him. <laughs> All right? And that's the image that the public persona uh, that you saw, but the man himself was witty, engaging, fun-loving, could poke fun at everybody, including himself, uh, was self-deprecating and um, had an appreciation for life that went well beyond uh, uh, politics. Um, 
problem was he was too smart. Problem was he th- thought everybody else was smart enough to figure out where he was going, and that he did not delegate uh, his political um, um, his political strategies uh, or give to others the ability to carry out and put Bob Dole, the person, the much bigger person, the war hero, the 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 consummate statesman, the 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 person of, of great integrity out there. Bob um, um, Lowe wanted to know who was going to drive his car and what time was it going to get to the plane and, and where were they landing and who was going to meet them, etc. You can't run a presidential campaign like that. Uh, um, and so, consequently, the great intellect that he had, um, instead of concentrating and working on projecting this warmth that so many people who worked with him knew about, yeah. uh, the collegiality that so many people who were, the people who worked with him, Democrats and Republicans and legislative aides, and, and even the media who was so up close and personal, day in and day out, that they knew about him, um, that, that, that never got through. Uh, um, again, uh, because he was too busy running his own campaign and not not delegating and building a team. It's very difficult for an extraordinarily bright man like Bob Dole, who was, who was as successful as he was in terms of his local poli- politics and origins and his being elected and re-elected over and over, uh, uh, to delegate to people uh, who may not have the intellectual acumen that he does. And he therefore got to believe that because he was as successful as he was, um, he didn't need this infrastructure that you see hmm. in um, most modern campaigns. Well, getting elected in Kansas is a lot different than running for a, an office with a far greater depth and perception than in the diversity of interest, needs, etc., in this country. It's not the same. And consequently, sometimes there are those who run for political office who, because they are successful, for example, uh, I would think that running uh, for office and the way I did for my own hometown would equip me to run for higher office. Nonsense. In my own hometown, if you were, if you had the Republican approval when I ran back in the 60s and 70s, um, you were elected. We thought that maybe it was because of the bumper stickers who we put out and, and the potholders that we put out and the color of the of the pencils or pens that we gave out, that that had something to do with us getting elected. It had nothing to do with it. But somehow, that's the politics of the old. And unfortunately, for all of his great acumen, he never really broke away from being a Republican who got elected in Kansas, and you got elected if you were a Republican. I mean, it was that simple. Just like 
I got elected because I was a Republican running in a Republican stronghold in the town of Hempstead. Had nothing to do with my looks. God, if it was that based on that or my speech with my Brooklyn accent, I never would have gotten elected. Or the color of my potholders that we gave out. He, 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 television wasn't friendly to him either, was it? No. No, because he did not learn and didn't take the coaching necessary to let him relax and be himself. The irony because is... Because he was too busy. He was too busy doing the business of the people, uh, as opposed to our president now, who's just lazy. Bob Dole was never lazy. Never lazy. I mean, uh, he was just always jammed right up uh, uh, to his to the top. It was a big thing when he and Elizabeth could go off for a weekend or whatnot. That was, you know, like breaking the rule. And so it was because of his legislative duties. It was because of the of the commitment that he had to the legislative agenda and to the presidents that he served and to the Congress that he served and to the party that he served, that he was so busy that he never took the time out necessary, number one, to be rested, look rested, be uh, uh, groomed for television with all of the various makeup, etc., and have the kind of personal coaching, etc., on a regular basis that would have permitted him and spent the time necessary with the image maker, so to speak, so that he could project his, not a phony Bob Dole, but himself. Because well, the, the real Bob Dole never got out there. Do you find it ironic that post-96, yeah. maybe for the first time, people, whether it's on Letterman, or the ads, or whatever. People oh, yeah. see a dole that they didn't see before. That's right. Well, we all we all knew him, and we saw him. We saw him in the caucuses, cracking the jokes and having fun, and and uh, uh, um, and and understood what he was about. And he would have been a great president. But again, um, the American public never got that opportunity. To, uh, to to really appreciate and see the fullness of the man. I got to see it. We took a Codell, and I never forgot we went to Italy. And um, and the fact of the matter that I uh, spoke literally no Italian, I understood, but, you know, and he brought me as the interpreter, and he was his, my interpreter. Wow, he had a great. <laughs> Say hello, Alfonso. Buongiorno. He would go, you know, good morning, you know. <laughs> these, these are our, uh, oh God! And of course, we went to the area where he was wounded, and they had the, the little town turn out to meet him. It was one of the great highlights. And was that an emotional uh, thing for him? Oh, very, yeah, very emotional. It's the other thing you never saw Bob Dole's the inner self, the emotion, the man when he would get choked up yeah. and. Um, I saw him when he was very emotional when, when Bush lost the presidential. And very, no one took that loss harder than, than Bob Dole. He really uh, wanted the president uh, to win and to be successful. He took, he took that very, very, very hard. Um, but again, I have to tell you, uh, um, 
you saw the Bob Dole that we all knew in the Senate, the consummate master legislator. Um, when when he left a, a public office, le- you know, elective office, that's when you began to see him come forward. And of course, you see the things, the World War II Memorial, all the kinds of things that he became involved in, not to promote his own career, but to do, um, again, the business of those who had been forgotten, uh, the American people. You know, he, he was never a supply sider. I mean, that, I mean, that was not his... Yeah, his, and he was yet, much more pragmatic than right. that. Right, and yet he was certainly a good soldier in terms of uh, the 81 bill. But then, of course, he had the 82 bill taking some of the ornaments off the Christmas tree. I mean, mm-hmm. that must have been a very difficult thing, first of all, to sell to the White House. Yeah. And secondly, to sell to his colleagues. Well, again... Um, I don't know if he sold it so much to the White House as to uh, as to his really carrying it uh, for them. He would well, let me tell you, he didn't go out on his own. I don't believe that. I think he there wasn't anything he didn't do with the full cooperation of the administration and um, and if anything. He was, in the final analysis, the soldier who made possible, and he carried, he carried the legislation that maybe they didn't want to be identified with. Don't think he did. He carried legislation on his own. He didn't. He absolutely did not. And I don't care. You tell me what the, what the bill was, and I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll dig it up, and I'll tell you. You you will see, the fine hand of the president or Jim Baker or somebody else behind it or Treasury, you know, behind it and, and, and Dole carrying it. I mean, he, he was not somebody who usurped, uh, certainly not the Reagan administration. He was there with him. Uh, he loved uh, Ronald Reagan, and he was a great, great soldier for him. And his relationship with uh, Howard Baker was a magnificent. Um, he never, never attempted to undercut him. Was always there for him. And of course, Baker was a supreme master of the Senate. Well, tell me, that would be fascinating to know um, sort of the the, the most interesting relationship of, of them all was the Paul Axel. Really? Oh, sure. Paul Axel was the most powerful senator uh, in 1981. He was Ronald Reagan's confidant, Ronald Reagan's friend. He was uh, almost a uh, a mentor, and people might uh, uh, disagree with that. And Paul Axel never, never used that great relationship that he had with Ronald Reagan in any way to diminish uh, uh, Howard Baker or Bob Dole. Never. was the most incredible thing, and I witnessed it and watched it firsthand, uh, really having a great... I always enjoyed the politics of government as much as uh, the governance 
and the, he he never looked to project himself. Very, very uh, unusual guy. So you had these three a very accomplished, powerful men in the Senate at the same time, with um, Baker being solidly as the majority leader, Bob Dole, a master craftsman and technician as as the uh, uh, chairman of finance, very important, and and uh, and then Paul Axel as the chairman of uh, I think it was the National Committee and certainly of Reagan's committee, and uh, inextricably linked to to Reagan, a close friend and confidant. And the way the three of them worked together helped make uh, Ronald Reagan's first term as successful as it was, with Reagan the great uh, persona that that, that he had um, and being able to project it, you know. Well, Dolly needed a little bit of the Reagan uh, uh, team around him to give him the ability to project that. The real, the real Bob that, that the American people never got. You know, the American people got to see him running for vice president, and beating the hell out of I forgot who, but you know, I mean, you know, yeah. When he becomes majority leader at the yeah. end of '84, right? What are the weapons? What, what are the what are the carrots and what are the sticks that a majority leader has today? I mean, well, you, you have, for example, various chairmanships, which uh, and committees that, that members can be appointed to. Um, uh, he he uh, determines what legislation will be heard, what what will come up, what won't. He basically determines if legislation is going to pass or going to just be fall into a dark hole. Uh, um, it is an extraordinary, an extraordinarily powerful position. Uh, you don't want to be at odds with the Senate Majority uh, Leader unnecessarily. It may become an issue of principle. But, but they all complain. Why do they all complain about not having power or control, at least? They all seem to... Well, because you, they may not have the kind of control that Lyndon Johnson had. Uh, when he had an overwhelming majority in the Senate, 60-plus, so that on a party loyalty matter, he could cut off filibusters. You don't have that in the Senate, so you don't have that control. And so whoever the majority leader is, Democrat or Republican, has to find a way to be somewhat accommodating to the minority. You, and it's a very careful balance. You cannot cede to the minority uh, control, but you have to recognize uh, their interests, their legitimate interests, and give them an opportunity, if it's not going to injure you politically, to be heard and to and to do the business of the people as they see it. Now, that's not... So, remember, the balance is one that you don't see to them authority, but yet you recognize legitimate interests, because if you don't, guess what they do? They become total obstructionists. And with the exception of the uh, 
the one budget bill, the big bill that um, uh, 100 hours and then they can cut you off. I, I forgot. It's not the continuing resolution, but there's there's a one economic bill that comes up where they jam all the tax increases through, et cetera, and, and, and six, you know, and uh, you don't need 60 votes to cut off debate. Um, the, the minority is almost as powerful as the majority. How frustrating. I mean, you, you, gotta, you have to understand that. And so that's why the majority leaders will complain. Um, again, I, I can't think of the name of that particular... Um, it comes up every year, and it's with the finance vehicle. They they use it, and and there, the majority has great power. But other than that one instance, and you can, somebody will tell you what that is. How frustrating was it for him, and I suppose by extension to you, uh, in ninety four, ninety five, rather ninety five, with the government shutdown, and the the House Republicans taking, you know a somewhat more strident, more partisan line, and Dole in some ways was trapped by the politics of the situation. Well, let me say this to you. Um, It's a much easier job to be the majority leader or the speaker of the House. If you have a one-vote majority and you can keep your people together... You're king. You don't need the craftsmanship that a majority leader and a Bob Dole had to employ to keep not only his people, his majority, right, whether it's 51 or 53 or 55, and keep, and so you have 50-plus votes, but, and, and you know, you got uh, moderates and liberals, etc., who don't buy on to all of the cuts in programs and uh, uh, that uh, the center-right might might adhere to. So you've got to be accommodating to some in your own party. And then you've got to recognize if 41 Democrats line up in opposition to you and want to embarrass you, and if it's on a political matter, you better believe they're going to be 41-plus, they'll shut you down. So when the House would be as critical as they were of the Senate and Republicans and the leadership in the Senate, they talk from a vantage point of being able to rule the roost. They were totalitarian dictators. They didn't have to. That doesn't work in the Senate. And if you try to do it, nothing happens. And Bob Dole was... The master of this ship, and he had to keep it moving. And that meant he just couldn't jam through anything he wanted or what the House wanted. And their cuts and their nonsense and their demagoguery. And, 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 and that's what you get out of the House. And you get it out on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. And, of course, the Democrats had punished Republicans for so many years until they came into power. And then we had an abuse of power. It swung the other way, and now you have, and now you have payback. Now the Democrats are in control, and they're basically paying back the Republicans for the twelve or fourteen years of, of unbridled, uh, uh, um, 
leadership that did not really uh, look to build consensus and just look to to politicize things. Bob Dole knew you couldn't politicize everything. He knew how to play politics, but you couldn't politicize everything if you were going to run the ship of state. You think some of it was generational? The Dole was seen by, I mean, the Gingriches and, 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 and those folks in the House uh, looked at Dole and saw someone from another generation, someone who culturally as well as politically maybe was a little bit out of touch with the emerging Republican Party. You know, the social conservatives and um, um, supply side, all, all of that. Listen, uh, listen. If you think the contract with America really elected the majority in 1994, then you should believe that the man in the moon is made of green cheese. That's just a lot of nonsense. The Clintons screwed up. The people were angry. The contract with America, if you were, you were to ask the American public when they went to vote, or Republicans, if they voted because of the contract with America, a lot of nonsense, and we believe their own hokum. This is just BS. Newt Gingrich and company, you know, one of the big, biggest BS artists I've ever seen, you know, uh, the man, the great principal and whatnot, yelling and screaming about the president while he's going and carrying on, uh, etc. You know, don't throw stones or live in a glass house, okay? So this was, an, he'd have you think, Mr. Morality, a bunch of nonsense. He's a very bright guy, yeah. but just a bunch of nonsense. They had a whole different operation. If you got a majority plus one, you rule. Doesn't work that way in the Senate. What so, was the chemistry, the personal chemistry between Oh, Dole I think and Bob Dole uh, uh, carried it off. You know, here's these young whippersnappers, you know, uh, um, feelings, their strength, etc., and and talking about. And I'm not telling you that supply side isn't good or isn't bad, and I don't think that it is all bad, and I don't think it's the panacea either. And I think that Bob Dole recognized when you cut taxes, things grow. Um, and, well, maybe he didn't buy into the whole hog. And maybe there's some people, you know, who say, unless you agree with me on 10 out of 10, you're no good. I say if you agree with me on 8 out of 12, that I'm doing pretty good. And if you agree, me, <clears throat> agree with me on 12 out of 12, you better see a psychiatrist. And I think, I think that's basically what you had, this clash where you had to agree with the, with the social conservatives. And by the way, they're the guys, if you're social conservative, I could never understand how come they would get so upset with, um, with gay rights. You know, I don't want the government, I, I don't want people to... I want them judging me on my ability, not my race, my creed, my, my color, or my sexual orientation. So the same group, you know, uh, it's the group that goes all up in the air about gays here and there and whatnot. So I don't buy on to their nonsense, and I don't think Bob Dole did. It's interesting. The one thing he said about the 96 campaign, yeah. most recently, that he really regretted. Oh, yeah was the log cabin Republican check setting. You know, the people all around him said, you got to send it back, you know, make some bullshit. kind of big deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, bullshit. Because, again, 
People want to be judged on the basis of their ability and their talent, not their sexual orientation. The other thing is, let me tell you something. If you cross the line in terms of your, your conduct, it's a different matter. But I see as many heterosexual, if not more people crossing the line than I see gays yeah. or I'm yeah. aware of. You know. so, it's, so it's nonsense and... And they, you know, they're just ready to stereotype people, and I think that's one of the problems that we have today. Yeah. Bill really wanted an inclusive Republican yeah. Party. Yeah. yeah, Was he comfortable in New York when he came to New York? Was he? Was he? A, did he feel? Did you sense that he was uh, felt at home here? I think Bob Dole was a big enough man to be comfortable wherever he went. Really, and and he didn't really play that much to his audience. I think, um, again, he, he um, the American people never really got an opportunity to see him. Um, he had, uh, he had the charming, you know, Bill, Pres- you know, Bill Clinton running, uh, everything to everybody. And, um, he didn't have a chance once Clinton took the Republicans and uh, said, uh, you know, workfare, not welfare. Once Clinton took that, it was all over. And um, we didn't have a chance. He, he took what we were about on the social side. That was the important social thing, yeah. that people wanted to see people given an opportunity but but not a a government subsidy for life that they became entrapped, and so when we lost the ability to articulate that difference because Bill Clinton was smart enough to embrace it, uh, um, we were finished. We've heard from so many people that Dole's never happier when he was on the Senate, having half a dozen meetings going at once. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally. Going round and round, I mean, from one to another. Um, is that how he worked? Uh, is that how he preferred to? Uh... Well, he was a um, um, a man who could see the big picture and who could see a group and put people together who he knew were talented. For example, if it was an area on foreign relations, he would always have a Luger involved. If it was an area involving the interior, etc., he would have Simpson involved. And he had people who he had great faith in, and he would put together, the, the groups would come together. And he always had a very talented staff uh, who would watch this and report to him, and he, would, he could stop in and really get a report on it in spite of his very presence stimulated, and everybody wanted to be liked and admired by the majority leader, so consequently they were looking to move the process and accomplish their goals. Um, And um, it was a technique that gave him the ability to be hands-on in all of the areas, and yet not to try to micromanage each and every one of them. So it built him great uh, relations with the members of the Senate, 
you know, particularly the Republican majority, the leaders of the various committees, and um, and by the by the same token, made it possible for him to make known in areas that he felt strongly his views. Presumably, something like the Americans with Disabilities Act meant a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. well that that he worked. Oh. And where was the opposition to that? Was it from the business community? Oh, sure. Not only from the business community, but from the social conservatives who said, you know, what are you doing, you know, to the business place and what is government doing? The same people will come in and keep you from playing poker on the Internet with the people, right? Here they are, the social conservatives. They say, no, you can't play poker on the Internet. Now, I admit I'm a lobbyist for the Poker Players Alliance and a chairman over there. But can you imagine the, the hypocrisy? On one hand, you're going to say that we should not be uh, legislating in the business place to give people who have disadvantages an opportunity so they won't be discriminated against. And the other, I come into my house. I don't even have any kids who live in my house and say we can't play uh, into poke on the internet because, by the way, it may, the big thing is it may uh, get kids to be playing, huh? Well, I don't have any kids in my house. Uh, Two quick things. I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna go, but. Yeah. Um, the, um, y- you in many ways personify the transformation of the Republican Party that was going on in the 80s. I mean, you obviously, you replaced Jake Gabbitt's. Um, you come in with Ronald Reagan. Um, you know, if you look at Dole's career, it, it sort of spans... Everything. Yeah, the old Gerald Ford, Midwest conservatism, uh, sure. to Ronald Reagan, to, right. you know. How comfortable was he with this injection of new new people who maybe didn't come from his kind of uh, tradition, uh, his his notion of conservatism? Certainly the class of 1980 was uh, different from the class of 1960. <laughs> yeah, it was. Sure it was. But um, um, he was not a slouch when it came to, to moving with the times. He really wasn't. And uh, I never found him uncomfortable with the class of 80. Um, I think the class of 80... Um, was unique in that uh, maybe we believed ourselves too much and we forgot the axiom that when the big ship comes into port, it pulls all of the crap along with it. Um, Now, maybe we should clean that up and say it pulls in the driftwood. And so were it not for that big ship running in 80, I certainly wouldn't have gotten elected. And, And a lot of them took themselves very seriously and really went around like they were... They had done it themselves, you yeah, know, and yeah. and they didn't need anybody. Well, there may have been one or two, but, but most of us, it was because of the big ship. So I think that in his, the fact that he got a chance to watch all these Humpty Dumpties, including myself, come in, um, he must have been laughing to himself, but he never really lauded it over people. Um and I've, I, I think he was, he's a very comfortable man with himself. He is not, not uncomfortable. Hmm. You, you'll never find that hmm. about him. 
course, I would tease him after he made his Viagra commercials. I told him I liked the Pepsi one a hell of a lot better, you know, where you thought he was going to advertise Viagra when it came out to the Pepsi. I thought that was terrific. Do you remember his, well, obviously you remember, I mean, his decision to leave the Senate when he did. Yeah. And the events surrounding that decision, and, and in particular the last meeting, you know, that he had with the Republican caucus. Oh, yeah, it was very, uh, a very tearful meeting, very emotional when he uh, said that he was leaving, I think he did the right thing rather than try to hold on and come back if afterwards and, and be the leader and be the defeated uh, um, uh, candidate for the presidency and, and still be the uh, uh, majority leader. I think that, oh, I think that he, he did the right thing for himself, because I think it would have been very difficult to, to come back. He would, people would have been mealy-mouthing him. Um, I was sad that he, he did it, but I think it was the right thing both for him and the party. And it, it took a lot of um, fortitude for somebody who loved the Senate as much as he did, who was as good as he was, um, and... Um, who if he had the 60-plus votes like Lyndon Johnson, they would have called Bob Dole the master of the Senate. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sure. That was great. 